I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Support for Noble and Rouge is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. That's right, they obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide, and we have an exclusive offer for Noble and Roosh listeners, 20% off and free shipping with the code GNR at manscaped.com. That's GNR at manscaped.com. You're listening to the Noble and Roosh Show, brought to you by Ball is Life and Dash Radio. Welcome to another episode of the Noble and Roosh Show. I'm your host, Roosh Willigan, the Mastodon, with my co-host, Zach Noble. And today, we have Chris Vernon of The Ringer in the building to talk a little Memphis Grizzlies NBA playoffs. Chris, what's good? How you living, man? Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. Cool. I was just watching. I was just watching. I, I, I was just uh, right before I called you guys. I was captivated. I was just watching a Madison Square Garden boo Trey Young mercilessly. It's amazing, amazing, amazing television. He's embracing it full force. I mean, he, he's built for this. Can you believe? I mean, can you believe he's balling this hard already? Unbelievable. Like, I mean, look. Yeah, I, you you find out what guys are about when it comes playoff time, right? And especially under those kind of circumstances where you've got a tough crowd on top of you. This is where guys really separate themselves. And I mean, for a debut, that was crazy. Yeah, that was pretty badass. I mean, it honestly, like, look, nineties basketball is my favorite. I say it all the time. It's hard to recreate that feeling, but it gave me vibes of Reggie Miller in the garden, you know, yes. looking at spike doing the whole thing. So it was super cool to see. Um, I actually thought Bill de Blasio's response was kind of funny too. I saw people clowning him. But like that's what sports is about, you know? Like the friendly back and forth, keep it yeah. on the court. Was that friendly though? I thought so. He was just he's just repping New York, man. This is the first time they've been in the playoffs in forever. Like, what would you expect? What do you expect him to do? Captain <laughs> Bill. You think he's supposed to be like Trey, thank you so much for I mean, know, a man anybody else, like somebody on with sports, okay? A sports analyst. Somebody, I mean, somebody less than 40 years old, not the leader of the city. I mean, I think you went a little harsh on him. I don't know. 
he's a kid. Trey, Trey takes that personally, but I mean, hey, Trey, yo, it doesn't matter if he's a kid, man. When you sink the Knicks in the garden, and you yeah. no, this is this is now this is not wrestling, right? This is <laughs> this is wrestling, uh, which I love. I love it. I love the idea, and he seems to look. He revels in it. He talked crazy after the game. I love it. I love it. Yeah, and it's all at the end of the day. I think it's all love, right? Don't got to get crazy. It's still basketball. Yep. Um. But that aside, man, speaking of another smaller, quote unquote, guard going into someone's house and taking it to him, um, John Morant. How you feeling about John uh, Morant? Oh, my goodness. I mean, look, I, I get to come by this honest because the Grizzlies had absolutely no chance at getting John Morant, given where they were in the standings. And if you go back in time, you know, this gets forgotten, but. They were not only did they win 30 something games, they tried to win as many games as possible down the stretch. Like, this is not, you saw teams, uh, you know, down the stretch this year, they're playing guys that you've never even heard of. They're, there's a race to lose in immense amount of games. That particular season, they tried to win as many games as they could. I mean, they're playing Avery Bradley 35 minutes, they're playing Valanchunas. They're running guys out there, and they end up getting 30-something wins that year. And the reason was they owed Boston their first-rounder. And so they were trying to make that pick worse and worse and worse so mm. that the low, so that when Boston got that pick, they're not getting a high pick from you, right? They're getting something low. But it's obviously top-protected, and – they really legit hit the lottery. And like I say, I get to come by this honest because with the Grizzlies having no chance, I mean, I was out there telling people John Moran, John Moran every single day because it just so happened. My wife went to Murray state. So me and my son, we were on him. You know, I mean, we were watching on ESPN plus and I'd heard about this kid and it was my wife's alma mater. And I'm like, because uh, I first heard of him when uh, you could go back, and this is when he was a absolute no-name. I mean, a no-name. Kevin Durant shouted him out on Bill Simmons' podcast and because he had been at the either the Durant camp or the Kyrie camp, one of those camps before his sophomore year of college. And so Durant was like this kid, John Morant, at Murray State. And so I'm like, wait, Murray State? So I start keeping up with him throughout that year. And, you know, it was Zion, Zion, Zion. But I was watching that year going, like, this kid is going to be a <laughs> mega star. This is, this is freaky stuff that's going on. And, and then they hit it with him. And obviously, one rookie of the year, he was unbelievable, much better than anybody thought he could have been his rookie year. And now in year two, you know, to, I think, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be different now, but this was, not, this was not the season that he envisioned. John envisioned that he was going to take that step and he was going to be all-star. He was yep. going to be guy that people were talking about all NBA. He was going to be, and he didn't have his, you know, Jaron Jackson was out for the first 60 games of the year. Um, they're trying to patch together as many wins as they possibly can. Teams load up completely against him. They're putting big wings against him every single night. And the numbers were a lot harder to get this year. 
And so I don't, and then he got injured, you know, he, he busted the ankle. He probably came back too fast from that. Um, and you've got a, you had a bunch of guys injured and it was one of these crazy years where they did not have two consecutive days off from the all-star break until the end of the season, not two because they were one of the teams that got parked for a week and a half and they missed those games. And so by virtue of that, when they came back after the all-star break, they played every other day all the way until the very, very end. And so I just think, I think it was just all so much harder, you know, for him this year. And then you got to see like last year with the, with the Portland deal backs against the wall. He has his career high this year backs against the wall, right? It's loose and you're going to the off season and he has 35, six and six on the road in golden state turns around and has a outstanding game one and hit some daggers uh, in the playoffs. And so I think it's turned up at the right time. Looking back on John, just hearing the way you describe him and um, going back to early in college when you knew about this guy, uh, how much of it was his mentality, though? Because that's one of the biggest things in the draft these days where I don't think people judge mentality enough and where people are missing out. And, yeah, to look at his stats right now in these first two years without telling the story you just told, and they're like, this yeah. kid's inefficient as hell. I mean, what he's yeah. not that good of a player. Well, you got to watch him play. He's a momentum yeah. changer. He makes winning plays. Looking at his stats from year over year, didn't really change much. The efficiency went down, but you have to know the story that you just told. With that said, it's like looking at LaMelo, looking at Anthony Edwards, DeAndre Ayton, Marvin Bagley, all these high picks. Their mentality doesn't compare to the dog and jaw. Like, yeah. Well, and, and here's the thing, uh, Zach. I, I'll say this. You know, he immediately became the dude. Right. And so another deep, you're not on that scouting report your first time through the league. You're just sure. not. And you get to do, the, you know, Whatever what you want to do. Yeah. And then there's a scouting report on you. And then there's a team that decides, here's the guy that we have to deal with tonight. If we're, he's the engine that makes that thing go. And so the best thing we could possibly do is load up against him and make life hell on him. And, but I will tell you, and this has been, this was indicative the other night against Utah. Teams that guard him with guards are in trouble. And it's been that way. It, this year, and that did not happen a lot this year. People went in and they said, okay, point guards on him. This year, I can't tell you how many times the best wing player, you know, you're playing against Atlanta. They got the Andre Hunter right. on you. You know, you play against. Uh, whoever it may be, they were going to take a big wing and they're going to put them on you because that's what they're trying to, that's what they're trying to mess up. And, you know, Utah really doesn't have one unless they want to try Royce O'Neal, but then your, your two other guards are small. So now you got to find a place for them and who are they guarding? Cause you got bigger guys. And so I think that's why he's been able to have success against the jazz this year. And was able to have success in game one. And I also think that that's not, you know, there's reasons and excuses, and I think that is a that is a legitimate reason. And now he went through that, and so I I would bet an awful lot of money that next year, you know, he'll take a billion shots. You know, for, uh, this summer 
he'll become a much better three-point shooter, and he's going to know how he wants to attack these teams that are blitzing pick and rolls, that are putting big defenders on him. And he started to figure out as the year went on, but now you're going to give him an offseason. I bet that the leap that some people look for in year two, well, that's because you get to fly under the radar a little (laughs) bit in year one. He didn't fly under anybody's radar. He was the man by the second half of the season. And so that those guys are different. But I bet you next year, I bet you will see an exponential leap. Look, there are certain guys that we've talked about it. It's an NBA cliche. When the lights are on, they shine. Yep. Right. And yep. Jai is so far through two through the the playing game against the Warriors and game one against the Jazz, John ja Morant is that guy. All the all the things on the scouting board seem to go out the window. Um, maybe not go out the window, but like what he, the book on him is he can't shoot threes five yep. of 10 against the Warriors sunk him. He's just got that chip. I, I hate to get super stereotypical and compare him to a guy like Iverson, every small guard that's shifty and, and with, has explosion and has like that attitude and chip on their shoulder. Everyone wants to compare him to Iverson. But when I watch him, that's just the vibe I get. He's well, just that's it. Yeah. Little guys, little guys, usually do have that smaller players do have that. And that's how they kind of get by. Whereas big guys are typically aloof. The other thing is his chip, his chip is different because he comes by that honest. He was not a big recruit. Um, I had this guy, James Kane on James Kane was an assistant at Iowa state uh, last year and had been an, uh, an assistant at Iowa state. He was also an assistant at Murray state. And there was a Chandler Parsons basketball camp uh, that James went to. And so that's like all the best players, right? All the best players were at this basketball camp. Uh, it was like almost like a, like a show and tell, right? So they, they, the thing, a, a thing that is put together so that college coaches can show up and evaluate, right? So he shows up like every other coach in the country. And he goes in there and he is watching all of these different kids that are getting evaluated. And he has driven the entire day uh, from Murray to, I, be- I believe this was taking place in South Carolina, where Josh's from. And he's, he's starving. So he goes mm-hmm. over to the concession stand and they have like, uh, they point him toward like a vending machine. So there's this vending machine over in the corner. And he goes over to this vending machine and he goes and grabs like a Coke and, uh, and a bag of Dorito out of the thing. And as he is grabbing the Coke and the bag of Doritos, there's like an auxiliary gym, like a side gym. And there's a group of guys playing three on three in the gym. And he looks in there and he sees Moran. He sees the kid playing. And he's like, who is that? He goes and starts asking the organizer, who is that? And they're like, Oh, that's, uh, that's John Moran. His dad brought him here. He wasn't even in the big gym with the good players. He was in the side gym with the also Rans. Maybe you'll put me on the court for a game at some point. Like he wasn't even so like his chip is a real chip. His, you, uh, you know, now I obviously I deal with the Grizzlies and, uh, the so one of the social media directors works on the show with me. You you don't see John Moran high school stuff a lot. Why? Because it doesn't exist. 
where it exists is the only film that they had that they were sending off. His dad coached the, his team, his summer team, and wore a damn GoPro on his head <laughs> so that there would be some film that he could send to college coaches and stuff. So, like, when, when John does the whole, like, nobody believed in me, I came from nothing, <clears throat> nobody wanted me, like, that's, that's real. all real. Like, that is real. A lot of guys do that. You know, I mean, hell, Drake made it popular. You know, started from the bottom. He's like, you know, he's 12 years old on national television, for God's sake. Like, it wasn't that far. It wasn't that far that he started from, right? <laughs> but, I mean, this kid, he's, you know, he's going into his senior year of high school, and, you know, nobody's even sniffing him. They're throwing him in extra gyms. So, he has, he's proved himself all, all the way. You know, and I think that's why he, he plays the way he does. And I think that's why he's got that mentality. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. No, and that's actually crazy. And it also goes to show um, how so many people at legitimate levels of basketball can just miss talent, point blank, yep. right? And it, it makes you like when I hear stuff like that, it just makes me think how many people have gone under the radar, slipped through the cracks, and instead of having the opportunity to keep pushing and to make, you know, to fill their potential and become John Morant. How many of those dudes flamed out and just never got it done, oh. right? Like, well, times- and you, it, it's the family. It's a dad. So his dad, who I've gotten to know well, T. Morant. T, you know, as the story goes, T was a fantastic player in his own right. He was on, interestingly enough, the same high school team as Ray Allen. And he ended up and was going, he was good enough, he was going to go play overseas oh, wow. after, after, after school. And his girlfriend called him and said, I'm pregnant. And he said, I'm not going anywhere. And he stayed. He stayed to raise the kid. And, and you know, ended up. Yeah. Wow. And he hey. ended up getting. And so the, he never went and fulfilled his career. And mom and dad live with John now. They've got a big house out in the country here. They uh, uncle lives there too. I mean, they are the tightest knit family. And Uh one of the things T got to witness, you know, when he was growing up, how to raise a high profile athlete, because he was there witnessing how they handled Ray Allen, you know, that's his guy. And so Uh Ray, he looked at Ray Allen's parents and said, if I ever have a kid that's going to be a star, well, I'm going to do it like this. You know, because Ray always stayed out of trouble. Ray obviously had a Hall of Fame career, the whole thing. But yeah, and they're just such a tight knit family. And that, and and his dad, not only did his dad continue to push him the entire time, um, you know, his dad wasn't going to let him get off track. His dad was going to keep him focused on the right things. And I think that you know, his dad obviously sacrificed a lot 
you know, um, by giving up his own dreams in order uh, to make it so with his son. And I do think that sometimes you hear these terrible stories of like the oppressive father or whatever else. And yet Jod, I mean, he loves, loves, loves his, they're like best friends. No, it's amazing to hear. It's a great story. It really is. Seems like a bit of a grinder though, too. And so it's good. He didn't get burnt out. And I mean, Oh yeah. This generation though, I mean, there's some pretty prominent fathers that are well known. Like, I mean, I've seen Jaws dad around and then you got Trey Young's dad and the balls LeVar out there. And it's pretty crazy. I mean, that's probably social media behind the scenes. You're seeing more of it and the excitement there, but um, looking over this Grizzlies team as a whole now, um, me and Roosh were talking a little bit before the show that, if you look over the numbers and you, you individualize these guys one by one and um, how much they've improved, it's like uh, they've improved as a team, but really player to player, the jumps aren't that big outside of Anthony Melton. In my opinion, Anderson, Anderson. Yes. Yes. There's Kyle An- Anderson and his careers all across sure. the board. He, he was up for most improved in my estimation. He should have been yeah. top five. It's just his numbers weren't gaudy, but um, he, he's incredible, especially how the way he can play like that and still grow in like his seventh, eighth year of his career. But those two guys and then Dylan Brooks, bigger games are way bigger and they're coming a little more frequently. Grayson Allen's making a lot more shots, but it just seems like defensively is the biggest improvement overall. Where, I mean, where would you say outside of what those guys have done? I mean, how has this team taken a jump to actually be competitive in the playoffs? Well, Number one, and well, this has been number one. This has been number one all year is Valanciunas. Yeah, he's. I mean, incredible. he has been a monster all year long. Like, there are guys that come by their stats and they have the big games, and then but then like you might see the night where they've got you know six points and six rebounds, but the next game they have some like. And no offense to him, but like DeAndre Ayton, you'll see. You'll see 21 and 11. Right. You may get 10 and 6 the next night. It's possible, right? Where Valentunis, it was every night. And like the average nights were great nights. And the great nights were like historic, like 30 and 20s. And he was doing this often. And it's odd the way the league, you know, the league changes so quickly that. You went through this phase where everybody, everybody on the court had to shoot. Everybody needed to be able to dribble, pass, and shoot. Wings, 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 wings. Rim runners that can guard, pick, and rolls, and that's what you need, right? But then you saw this flip, and guess who's awesome this year? And la- last year, you know, you saw size with Davis and with you know when they're running out all those big guys with LA, they're just pounding you to death. And then this year. If the MVP is not Jokic, it's Embiid. Right. And if it's not Embiid, right? It's uh, and down the line, you saw these big guys eaten because you went through this phase where the Warriors and the Rockets were the teams that you had to deal with, and so the types of players that you had to have in order to deal with them were different um, than the types of players now. And here comes a guy like a Valentunis, and it's like, okay, uh, Valentunis would have been unbelievable in the 90s or maybe in the early 2000s, but a guy like that, guys like that get played off the court now. Guys like that don't 
But instead, now they're more useful than ever because you don't have somebody. And so he gets every rebound and he bodies you and gets every point, right? Like everybody's small. And I do think that that's part of the reason why they had success against Utah in game number one. Now, who knows if it'll hold, but I will say this. Much like I said about the Wings having to guard Morant, the other thing is he has to be dealt with by Gobert. How many teams around the league does Gobert have to worry about the opposing center? There's a few. A few. But not a lot. Not a lot. Not, Not like if I don't pay mine to this guy, instead of instead of everything that comes to the rim i'm gonna get roasted you know what i mean we're gonna have a problem here and he requires that attention he does and so i do think that that uh that's a thing um that gobert's gotta worry about him that's a center that he has to guard and he just can't be the free safety swatting everything out of the way and so the valentine's part is huge and then obviously Morant and that Morant gets better when the pressure gets the highest, you know, and Dylan Brooks does do Dylan Brooks is there for it. He's just straight energy. And he really thinks he is the best player on the floor and you cannot tell him any different. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, it's, it's almost like, a, you know, it's just the amount of reps you play the amount of reps as a collective, you're going to get better. And they've just got this, they've got this naivety and confidence that comes along with it, you know? Yeah, I think that your point about Valanciunas is awesome because a lot of people, especially younger NBA fans, they always, we always compare eras, right? Everyone does that. And they look back at the old eras and say, oh, those guys would get smoked, run off the court in today's game. It shows you the, the diversity and versatility of the game of basketball because if you know how to work your matchup, you can make the game come to you. You can dictate the pace, right? Like yep. a guy like Valanciunas is a very talented big, and they were incredibly talented bigs back in the 90s. And I just hate it when people say, oh, Shaq would get played off the court because he can't play pick and roll and he'd get whooped and drop coverage or whatever. Um, and so like, I like to see the resurgence of the big man. I don't want to see dudes posting up every play, whatever. But I just like the fact that you know, it looked like for a minute the game was just going to kind of, the, the professional game was going to evolve into what, the pickup game is right spreading out and shooting threes and just doing that over and over. And look, I'm a Rockets fan. So like, I'm okay with that to some extent, mm-hmm. but um, I, I just like to see like big men having their role, kind of the re the reestablishment of the big man. Yeah. The, look, Shaq would average 60 and four. It would be like Chamberlain numbers yeah, yes. right now. He played with, I mean, there was all kinds of centers around the league there was everybody dude second tier centers were like alonzo morning who would dominate today oh i mean look you you, let's say like last night right i'm watching uh dallas and the clippers put shaq on that court and see what happens (laughs) willie cauley stein uh come on i mean this guy maxi cleva I mean, he had 90 points against the. I mean, it's ridiculous. Right. Go watch some Shaq highlights. Tell me what that dude would do to freaking Willie step. Cauley Stein. He might have a hundred. Shaq would drop step DeAndre Aiden oh, into the third row. Come on. You know? I mean, ridiculous. Like I said, I'm a Rockets fan. Elijah yeah. Juan, you know, Elijah Juan would school these boys. You know what I'm saying? Pat Ewing, David Robinson, 
Dikembe, yes. Lonzo, like it just goes on and on and on, you know? Even, like, even the teams that have bums, they were like huge. So like you've got to go play against freaking Greg Ostertag. Greg Ostertag is 300 pounds. You know, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's, it's wild. That's the kind of, it's, it's, I mean, that's the kind of guy you either got to go around or go through. And it's like, that's sure. a full grown ass man. <laughs> It's wild you we're know? saying all these old guys would be so much better today, but like when you think about like the Go Bear, he wouldn't be winning Defensive Player of the Year then. He'd be kidding. No, no. no. he'd be fine. He'd be fine, but he wouldn't be Rudy Go Bear on his way to being a Hall of Famer if he's playing against those guys. No, well, I mean, he is. Look, as I said with Valanciunas, Valanciunas is the incredible benefactor of a league changing and sure. the league changing so severely that it made extinct so many of the people that would be able to deal with a Valentunas, right? On the flip side, Rudy Gobert benefits from that immensely on the 100%. defensive side, right? He does. 100%. You know, as the league gets smaller, if you've got a guy of that size, I mean, he's not to blame for the way they use no, him, no. but like, like you said, if put Mutombo in this, let Mutombo play drop coverage and stand in front of the rim and be responsible for just anybody that drives. Don't worry about your guy. Anybody that drives, block him. He'd have 7,000 blocks. (laughs) (laughs) And it's crazy because a guy like Gobert, like, like, you know, he's got the max contract. He's touted as DPOY, all this stuff. Dude, back then, these dudes were defending the rim, and you could dump it down to them, and they'd have the footwork and the touch. And like post moves, go to. Well, and that's why I said the Valentinus thing is a problem for him. Right, yeah, he's got he's got some moves on the block. He's got the touch. You know, he's got. There's the size. somebody to guard. I mean, come on, Embiid kills him. Jokic kills him. I mean, it's not like he goes up against these other centers and they don't eat. Right. I mean, they feast. They have right. bigger numbers than their averages. So that that was, I mean, obviously one of my real arguments. Uh, about about the whole thing because i do think it's so crazy like you can't you can't make a point about somebody without you know slandering them being a hater whatever i mean he's he's good at doing what he does he is but people need to understand what he does and how that is different than what guys used to do and i think what is required of other defenders most importantly perimeter defenders that can't be quantified with some goofy number in the same way what is asked of them is a much harder task. It, it is. It is. Yeah, you're chasing guys around on the perimeter. You have to be. You have to communicate on switches. You have to guard different types of players, like left and right, and be able to move your feet. And death, death to defensive stats. I hate them so much. They're- well, and look at look at Giannis. Yeah, I mean, look. I know he got he got the one layup put on him, even though you know Brooke Lopez is standing under the basket, picking his nose for whatever reason <laughs> when Jimmy Butler drives in, but. I mean, Giannis is Giannis is taking that assignment, and Butler is eight of thirty-two. Right? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, what are you supposed to do? The guy, like, even if you're not as quick, the guy's a condor. Like, you know, and that's yeah. a real thing. And like, why? Look at what Luca's doing to the Clippers, and 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 Kawhi and Paul George, who are touted as these defensive stalwarts, are innocent bystanders to their demise. You know. Like, why wow. aren't you, you know, why, why aren't you getting out on there and saying Luke, this ain't happening anymore? And Luke is throwing Pat Bev to the side like a rat. Oh, my ball. God. 
You know, it's crazy, by the way, that, that Kawhi and Paul George don't take that assignment personally and stick Luca quarter to quarter. I, I don't understand that at all. But you know who does? Dylan Brooks. <laughs> hey. Dylan Brooks, I mean, he was not going to let him breathe the last time they played. It he's was gonna wanna, hilarious. He's gonna, Same way he did with Curry, just like, like I, I he because he doesn't care. If you score a couple buckets, you're a great player. You're going to score. But you are not doing that efficiently. Well, you know what I mean? Speaking of Dylan Brooks, I want to switch gears. Um, Donovan Mitchell's playing tonight. Yeah. So there's your wing assignment. Yeah. So how do you think the insertion of Donovan Mitchell into this series changes things, changes the calculus, or does it? Well, oh, God, yes. He's their, I mean, he's their best scorer. The other thing is... He's their best player, he, in my opinion. Of course he is. He is the guy that beats you off the dribble and get that whole thing moving because it's once he gets where he wants to go, beat you off that dribble. Now it pass, pass corner three. I mean, and it looks like the old Spurs stuff. Now two things, a no idea how he's going to look. It's been out for over a month. All right. Been out for over a month. And that story is weird as hell. The whole thing this week is just strange. So there's the first thing. The second thing is, is the reintegration of Mitchell just a seamless one? That they've had so many minutes, they've got so many reps together that it's no big deal. Or does it take some time? Because we have seen um, Anthony Davis, that wasn't right, right away. LeBron, that hasn't been right yet. They haven't looked good yet. No, they're um, only like 85%. We went through it with Jaron Jackson. You know, I figured, hey, they they played all season together last year. They'll just go back to how they were, the plug and play. And it it has not been right at all. Jaron has not been himself. The team has not been the team with Jaron. It's been a real struggle. And anytime you are going to integrate a high-volume guy or somebody that's one of your best players, what happens is – there is a trickle-down effect. Everybody's role changes. You know, you settled into the way you were playing for a month. And now, okay, now here's what – we got we to go back to playing how we do when Donovan's here. And that's not always easy. Now, again, they might have so many reps, but, like, just think about game one and the Grizzlies came away with it. But, like, Bogdanovich put that team on his back in the floor. For sure. You know? And – that's not what he does if Donovan Mitchell's there. Like, it's a different deal. And Conley is on the ball for a month. Now, they got, you know, the, the way they played this year, Donovan had the ball. And they played Conley off it most of the time, you know? And he initiated the offense, uh, did Mitchell. And so, is there going to be some kind of, you know, lag time? reintegration or is it just inspires the team inspires the city inspires the crowd and they just beat the crap out of the grizzlies which is a possible i mean it's a possibility you see in game twos this team you know i know people bust them up especially after losing game one but they're a great team this year they were they're a great team that's why they have the record that they do this year and they and when they've got their guys and they've got Mitchell, they have been awesome this year. And so 
I have, I, I mean, I have no expectation. I, I am certainly going to be happy um, if the Grizzlies can make that mega competitive tonight because Just they should have, close, right? yeah, they should have every emotion in the world and they should have their backs completely against the wall. But maybe if you can, if you get started off well and get a little doubt in their minds, now all bets are off because you saw that last night with Dallas, right? All you need to do sometimes is not let that team who sat there and told themselves, Rudy fouled out, uh, we made nine out of 42 threes. We, you know, all these reasons that they lost game one, but, and then if they come and they start running and they start running you, now they feel validated. See, we told y'all that's why we lost. We're going to, we're going to bomb these dudes now. Whereas if you can punch them now, all of a sudden they're like, Oh, well, hold on now. We might have a problem on our hands, right? You know, give them some doubt at least. What percentage is Jaron Jackson jr. Right now? Cause I, I'm lost. Like, sorry. Yeah. I'd say 80, 85. Yeah. It's hard to say. I mean, uh, look, it's not, yeah, I think his knee is fine. His knee is fine. His mental. He only put 12. You know, yes, it's in his head. And he only played 12 games. So, I mean, there's still a level of, um, you know, physical fitness that you've just got to, you know. For sure. Everybody else has been running up and down the court every night for 60 games. You haven't, right? You haven't been running for a year, right? Because <laughs> I mean, you haven't been able to. You're not running full speed. And it's just a different deal. Even if you go and run on a treadmill or a track, like, game speed and you got to sprint up and down the court both ways. That's a different type of shape that you've got to be in. So I think there's a little shape that he's still got to get in, but it's generally between his ears. I mean, we keep waiting for him to just break out because he is a massive, massive talent and it hasn't all clicked yet. And so we're holding out hope that one night it does. Are you all for Max and this guy right away? I mean, they won't, he won't get Max. He's just, that's awesome. he won't get Max. That's amazing. I just don't I, think. I, he, I just don't think. He, I don't think he will. I don't think that. I don't think if you're Jaron, and I love Jaron, but I don't think. I don't think Jaron looks at it and says I should be maxed. I mean, we've and we've seen this happen with players over over, over time. You know, look, it enabled Golden State to have their run. Right. They had Curry on a contract that was a good contract, but nowhere near what he brought to the table and why because he didn't make it through his first three seasons. Yeah, Jaren has blessing in disguise. No, but I mean, Jaron hasn't either. You can't, you know what I mean? Like you've got to go and be able to play different it's market 50, though. It's 50 something games though. Yeah. Now I'm on your side. 50, I would be really pissed off that, if they give them that Chandler Parsons deal. They're going to take, they will look, I, they're going to take care of Jaron. Oh, they sure. have taken care of Jaron and Jaron's going to make a boatload of money. I'm just talking about the the max. Like guys don't get the max when they haven't been able to play. And it's three years of not finishing seasons. You know what I'm saying? Like he missed really all the bubble last year and he was hurt before that. You know, he's gotten hurt every single year and missed a lot of games. And they they told him, you know, don't worry about it. Um, we're gonna keep you out longer. Than you should because we want you here for 10 years, not the next. Absolutely. You know, whatever years. And so 
they, they have such a great relationship with that kid right now. He'll get taken care of financially um, in a big, big way. I just don't think, like, it's not going to be like what De'Aaron Fox and those kids got. No, I love hearing that. It makes me feel better because that always ruins small markets and teams in general. Oh, no, no, no. Well, look, they, 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 they take care of all these guys. Look, you saw the kid that made the uh, – the kid that made the corner three in Golden State, Xavier Tillman, rookie. Yeah, no, he's good. Um, yeah, well, Jaron was his best man. Right. No, they're best building, friend. They got they yeah, got a little I mean, friend circle going. They got a good yeah. They're smart program for sure. They're smart. So, they, you know what I mean. You you sign his best friend to a three or four year deal. He ain't leaving him. <laughs> you know what I mean. Chris, to your point about the trickle down effect. I mean, first and foremost, I think I, I don't know what's going on with Donovan Mitchell's injury. Uh, I don't know how long he's been healthy, or at least his doctors have said he's healthy versus the Grizzlies actual medical staff. Um, I do think they're playing with fire, bringing, in my opinion, their best player back. The Utah staff, not the Grizzlies staff. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Utah's medical staff. You're right. My bad. We, hey, hey, we, the we Memphis medical staff out. was probably like, keep this dude out. Stay out. <laughs> Be careful. But, um, but yeah, so I think they're playing with fire, bringing him back. Because, dude, you got to get in game shape, period. I don't care who you are. You yeah. just have to get acclimated to four quarters of basketball, and you have to do that now in the in playoff intensity where your minutes are increased and every possession is magnified. But in addition to that, um, I think the trickle-down effect you talked about is right, and I think that directly affects Utah because Donovan Mitchell is pretty much, in my opinion, their only creator. Mike Conley can handle and he can create, in theory, run, you know, he can run sets, but he's not a guy that's going to command, like, help defense, at least on a consistent basis, in my opinion. And Jordan Clarkson is going to get, get his. He's, he's out for his, right? He's not creating mostly for other people. So Mitchell is the guy that can create, command attention, kick that ball out, and then they start whipping it around the perimeter, which was their whole game, right? Shooting yep. threes this season. They went 12 for 47 in game one, which, like you said, it's a reason, quote unquote, for them to kind of pat themselves on the shoulder and say, hey, we, we, lost, we only lost by three, even though we shot 25% from, from three. Um, but... I do think Donovan Mitchell coming back, if he's able to play and healthy and all that, I think the biggest effect is that it's going to unlock Clarkson because he was five of 16, I think, in the first yeah. game. So I think it's going to kind of unlock him in the sense that, you know, he's not their best guy with the ball in his hands in terms of a bucket getter. And then Bogdanovich is now not the horse. He's not carrying. Oh, the God, you saw Clarkson. He was like, somebody's got to score. Right. He was right. He was taking crazy stuff. So, right, so when you get Mitchell back in there, you can like get the ball whipping around. Right. And I feel like they'll be more fluid. So of before we get you out good all year. Chris, yep. uh, transitioning to around the league, what's at the top of your mind right now? A series, storylines, what what's really pressing you right now that you're excited about? Um you know, I, I honestly coming out of the weekend, it was more of the uh I think it was more of the Giannis thing than anything, you know, just the, what they looked like last night, um, burying all those threes in a game two, Dominant. it really felt a lot. You know, I was talking to, uh, Tim Bontemps from ESPN today, and he was talking about how in that, in, in, in that Milwaukee game that he felt like they had to get that game because once they got that game, then it was this like this grand piano came off of their backs because you know you remember how last year went 
and Miami wiping them out. And then you get this feeling of, oh God, here we go again, right? Like, yeah, the names have changed, but the story remains the same. But then they got that off their back. Now all of a sudden they're playing free. They go out and bomb them out last night. And you, and you, to juxtapose that to the Clippers, and it was the opposite. So they don't get game one. So now it's two grand pianos on your back because of the way last season ended. And then you get beat again last night. And it, I think you see the difference, right? One team that got the monkey off their back by winning their game one and another team that got beat down even worse and gets more doubt creeping in because they lost their game one. Cause they, because it, if Milwaukee loses that first game, it it's two days of bud can't coach. He can't adjust. This new defense stinks. Giannis is uh, a week in the clutch. You know, all that stuff comes up and all the doubt creeps in, whereas they got it done and you saw what they looked like last night, which is this confident team. And, like, you look forward to that and Brooklyn and, oh, my God. I, I mean, I just caught myself thinking about that today, and I'm like, that series is going to be unbelievable. Unbelievable. If Kawhi, if the Clippers lose, is Kawhi out? You think he opts I out? I mean, I mean, look, they got to break uh, it up, but I don't know if it's Kawhi or PG leaving. That's the that's the thing. Kawhi's got yeah, the opt out. I don't know about PG. I can't remember. They'll trade no, his he, ass. It's Kawhi's decision. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think it's tough. Um, they've done everything to cater to him. They have. They've done everything to cater to him, and they went. And they got new players. And those guys that were resentful of Kawhi, the Montrezes and the Lou Wills and all those guys, they got rid of all of them. You know, they've done everything with Kawhi in mind and got a new coach in there mm-hmm. and everything. And if it doesn't work out this time, I mean, look, I I I'll <laughs> you can't, you can't, you can't put together Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and win one playoff series. And that be the end. I mean, that is a catastrophe, man. Oh, an absolute catastrophe. Oh, and, and yeah, they, I, I, it's hard for me the to clip believe. for Paul George. So, like, what do they do from there? Do they I have just, I, to I even maneuver. I think it's hard. It's hard for me to believe that he would stay around if they, if they come out, if they lose in this first round. It's hard for me to believe that he would stick around. I can't believe they only played Serge Ibaka six minutes, but it's outrageous. Um, it, it, uh, no lie, they're 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 three. Ty Lue is clueless. Like, look Senate's at that team. Cleveland. We are in the playoffs. He has no idea who his guys are. Like, none. <laughs> he really doesn't. Like, you saw last night, Terrence Mann played for them the last two months of the season. Like, was a dog. Right, really like, good. that kind of, like, chip on the shoulder. Go Doesn't play in the first game. Second game, witness protection. <laughs> comes in. I think he played like the last 15 minutes to that game. Like what the hell is going on? He, he plays Batum. He, they go and get Rondo and give something up for him. And then they make him a backup point guard, yeah. you know, cause you're figuring he's going to be playoff Rondo and a voice and, you know, kind of get that thing in order and at least, you know, get some organization. Nothing. He has no idea what he wants to do with the big guys. He, they spent a fortune on Luke Kennard who go look at Luke Kennard's numbers. They're good. 
like I don't understand. I, no lie, he starts. He starts Reggie Jackson, Pat Bev, and Zubat, and I would start Rondo, Kennard, and Ibaka. Completely, and I would have the better team. It's man, sixty-four like, M's to not play him they, a single second. Bro, they have the goods. Some of these teams just don't have the goods. Right. They have the players at their disposal, and this bozo is playing Reggie Jackson 30 minutes. Yo, but it really speaks to chemistry, man. Like, you can't just be only if you if you don't have top end talent like Brooklyn with Harden, Durant, Kyrie, uh, and if you don't have LeBron James on your team, basically, you can't just throw the regular season, let these guys rest. That's what we're thinking. Kill. We thought they did with Kawhi and PG and then the, one of the deepest benches in the league. Like if they phase out here really quickly and it's not at least a deep seven game series yeah. competitive, this is legacies on the line too. I mean, for oh, sure. Oh, and by the way, and it was Marcus Morris. I, I misspoke. I said Zubac. He stinks too. Yeah, I, I like Marcus Morris. I really do, but I, he, he hasn't done anything. No, he's tough to play with Paul George and Kawhi. He really, he needs a guy that's a playmaker. And uh, you just need a big that can drop against Lucas. Switch that pick and roll. Use some length to just limit him as much as you can. And I feel like that's Serge Ibaka. That's why you got him. So I don't know. They why. have no clue who they're. You know that. And you see the flip side. You watch Dallas last night. They play the same friggin' eight guys every night. Yep. Every guy drives to the arena and knows exactly what he is <laughs> supposed to be doing. And everybody on the Clippers drives to the arena and they know Kawhi is going to play 40 and they know Paul George is going to play 40 and the rest of them, who knows? Yeah. And so then you end up with everybody being unhappy, right? Everybody. Wouldn't you say their rotation's comparable to Memphis? Like those guys all know their role. I mean, they outside do, but Jaren Jackson. Got, but even. But even in Memphis, it got screwed up. You know, they they tr- and and it was they tried to reintegrate Justice Winslow, and right, it was yeah, horrible. And they ended up making him a backup point guard and benching Tyus Jones, and it was just a mess. And you saw all of a sudden there was an audience, the disgruntled guys in the locker room. Right, I remember Hubie Brown used to talk about this years ago. Um, he ran this ten man rotation and. You know, it had its downsides, but it, the good outweighed the bad. And one of the things, at that point, 12 guys were on the roster, and he said, look, there's 10 guys that drive to the arena every single night, and they know how many minutes they're going to play, and they know who they're going to be playing with, and they know what's expected of them. And then there's two other guys that hate me. But guess <laughs> what? The two other guys, they have no audience, except for each other. The other 10 are all happy. And I always think about that. When I think about teams and for a portion of time, the Grizzlies became a team that had four or five guys unhappy because everybody's role had changed so dramatically. And so what they do, they bench Justice Winslow. We haven't seen him since. And it was like, okay, like you can't afford to have a bunch of guys roles change that they've had all season and them all be disgruntled because then all of a sudden you've got an audience if you're a disgruntled guy. And that's why I say, Every disgruntled player on the Clippers has an audience. If they're all saying, this guy's a bozo, this guy doesn't know what he's doing, well, guess what? The other guy's pissed off too. He don't like what his role on the team. And so you need the minimum amount of guys upset with their plight you know, on your team. And I think about that 
when I see these teams because most of the teams, they, they, you know, they, especially the good teams, the players know the score. They know what's expected of them. They know where they fit in in the pecking order. And, you know, how are the players supposed to know when Ty Lue obviously doesn't even know? Is Terrence Mann a rotation guy or not? Why for the last two months is he playing every night? 20 yeah, to, minutes? Your, to your point, some of those guys that are most likely unhappy aren't quiet guys. Marcus mm-hmm. Morris, 25 minutes. Pat Bev, 23 minutes. Uh, Rondo, 19 minutes. DeMarcus Cousins shouldn't play, but he didn't play, and I'm sure he's unhappy about that. Um, Reggie Jackson, he got 30 minutes, but I would probably... Serge Ibaka, though. These are vets. Yeah. Yeah. That's a vet. Rondo. That's a vet. Yeah. You know, just won a title last year. I'm with you. I don't know. With all these injuries, though, I mean, yes, the the great coaches will always figure it out and have these roles programmed, but um, with injuries, especially a guy like Justice Winslow, the Grizzlies had to do that, you know, because he helps raise their ceiling. I mean, they invested in bringing this guy in with a bunch of untapped. You don't think so? No, no, they tried it. Yeah. You think they they gave him a good enough shot? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Done. Get him I, out of here. I, I, no, I, no, I don't think get him out of here. I think what you did is you probably went to him and you said, look, we will pick up your player option. Don't sweat it. Be a good soldier. You know what I mean? You cheer us on. And it's just too late in the year. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's not his fault. Not his fault. It's too late, man. It's 65 game. We got seven games left. We're trying to make the playoff. Yeah. Like, we can't be trying to make this work for another week and cost ourselves any chance of being a playoff team because our ceiling's going to be raised next season. Like that's goofy. So like cool out. We believe in you. We want you to be part of the future and let's run it back, you know, next year, but we just don't have the time when you've got 60 something games uh, put into a roster and these guys playing together, it's hard to just throw a guy in there and be like, okay, now you're a major piece because it trickles down. And all of a sudden now, you know, there's guys that got, we're counting on playing that don't play at all. Doc rivers is also probably feeling vindicated. Of course he is. You of course know. he is. Are you predicting? Well, cause, yeah, oh, cause I mean, doc probably didn't do it. Look, I, I think there's part of there's part of me that thinks Tyloo, you know, one of the things that came out last year was ownership made a lot of promises to Kawhi. Kawhi lives in San Diego, two hours away, and like consistently, the plane would have to wait on him, and they just, you know, it became his deal, and that's why Montrez and Lou Will and all those guys like really started to resent it. And I mean, Doc, being a guy who's coaching the league for a long time, just went with the flow and whatever. But I think that they probably went the wrong direction when they got the head coach because I remember you 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 know with the uh, with the Harden stuff in Houston there are the stories that came out that they asked him who to hire and he said Tyloo and they didn't do it and that made him even matter right well why would James Harden want Tyloo we got all those stories about how Dantoni let him do whatever the hell he wanted to do. They'd practice when James wanted to practice. They'd fly out when James wanted to fly out. Like, and I think that probably what they got in LA, like he wanted that guy, right? That is just going to let him do whatever he wanted to do. 
and I imagine that Ty Luke probably lets Kawhi and Paul do whatever the hell they want to do. And, you know, is the consummate player's coach, as it were, but that stuff can have some real downside, real downside. It can, man. And that was one of my, as a Rockets fan, one of my biggest beefs with D'Antoni was his inability to harness or to rein any of that in, you know? Um, yeah. And I'm glad, <laughs> really glad they didn't hire Ty Lue on Harden's suggestion only for him to oh boy turn around and peace out a couple months later. Yep. So, but um, Zach, is there anything you want to get in before we send Chris on his way? No, I really appreciate it, man. Good catching up and Awesome. I'm chopping it up, but I got a feeling Ty Lue's going to be leaving you some emails, man. You got those Rudy Goldberry emails for KOC. Now Ty Lue's hey, You know what I'm going to do? Ty Lue, I, I, I'll uh, step over the Ty Lue. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Chris, we appreciate you coming on the show, man. We'll have to do it again sometime. Um, Are you getting to Utah at all? Are you going to get out there? Hell no. <laughs> no. All I'm right, man. Well, enjoy, enjoy hey, the ride. Hey, I hope they final, extend this thing a little more and have some fun here. Final thought, Chris. Call this series Grizzlies Jazz. What's going to happen? Here's, here, here's what I'll say. There will – this only prediction I'll make on okay? You're not a prediction guy. That's there will – no, hold on now. I will – there will 100% be a game six in Memphis. 100%. 100%. There is it. no chance in – look, there is a 8.30 Saturday night game and an 8.30 Monday game. Those are the two games that are going to be games three and four in Memphis. There is no chance in hell they will lose both those games. None. Still Pfizer, None. right? Still Trust Pfizer. me. Huh? Is it still Pfizer? No, no, no. It's FedEx. FedEx, yes, yeah, duh, duh. FedEx, okay. So yeah, yeah. that place still rocking like Oh my god. Uh, as much as ever. Saturday night. Set oh, it's gonna be the first playoff game in four years. Saturday yeah. night, it's right off of it's right off of Beale Street. It's gonna that crowd is gonna be so drunk. That crowd it, there's got rally towels on every seat. It's gonna be pandemonium. Pandemonium. Oh, and you get a young bunch of team a team of twenty one year olds. They are going to be on fire yeah, for that game. Damn. It's going to be crazy. Yes. Well, enjoy well, the ride, Zickers, man. We appreciate it. I, uh, I'm rooting for the Grizz. I, again, Everybody I'm is. Who the hell? I love, I love root for the Jazz. I Who love watching the Jazz fail. It brings me special so, I mean, joy. Come on. It's like, like rooting for Russia. <laughs> there. All right. Take care. Yeah, we'll end it on that note. We'll all end right, it on that note. Subscribe, <laughs> like, comment, retweet, all that good stuff. Chris, we appreciate it. You bet. Talk to you soon, brother.